You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. Wonderful, majestic world around us. It's time for Dear Science. Thanks to Motat, the museum inspiring the innovators of tomorrow. Well, well, well. We meet again, Alan. Millie, it's been a while. It's been a while. It has. Hey, has Sophia. Indeed. Hello. It feels like it's been a while. <laughs> it does, actually, but it's only been two weeks. Mm. Oh, but then we, we had the lovely Kushler on last week, so wonderful stuff. Yeah. That's yep. true. Yep. That's so true. That's the way it's going to be from now on, folks. So Good stuff. Those, those of you who are regular listeners. Okay, what are we going to talk about today? Well, you've shocked me in multiple ways. Oh, goodness. Okay. First of all, you've <laughs> shattered the illusion. Blueberries aren't even blue, guys. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a good one. Yeah. A, you know, they're called blueberries, so you would think that they'd be blue, wouldn't you? So, way back in the day, um, how did people make coloured clothing and stuff like that? Beetles. <laughs> well, that, potions. That, that'd have to use natural pigments, wouldn't they? So, totally. you know, not, not like today when a lot of it is artificial. You had to rely on nature to give you colours. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, those of you who have ever, I don't know, spilt beetroot or whatever on yourself will know that some colours really do stick fast and make good dyes and stuff like that. And so generally, you know, or or you would even use um, crushed up snail shells and things. Cochineal, I think, Ooh. came from crushed up snails or something That's like an that anyway. One. But... Um, so what you'd do is, is you would take your coloured material, whatever, and boil it up in a little bit of, I don't know, alcohol, something like that, and extract all the coloured pigments, and then away you'd go. So you might think you'd be able to do the same with blueberries, because blueberries are so called because they have blue, folks, obviously. So you would think there's got to be a blue pigment in there that gives the colour blue to blueberries. Clearly. That's and what you think. that is not the case. Oh. That is not the case. <laughs> As has been proven by workers in Germany, Finland, and the UK, and they've just gone and published this in the last couple of weeks. So, um, basically, um, if, you are, if you've ever eaten a blueberry, which I'm sure you have, and you look at the inside, you see the inside is most definitely not blue. Yes, yeah, right. no, can confirm. So, so it's sort of, yeah, yeah, it's sort of that sort of like ready purply sort of, you know, cherry sort of colour sort of thing. No blue in sight. So you might think, well, obviously the blue is just in the skin then. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it's not. Because if you try and extract the skin of blueberries and get a blue colour, you don't. Do you get a purple colour? No, you don't. You get colourless. <gasps> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, thank you. That, that was, was perfect. such yes, a mind, yes. mind warp. <laughs> you were going to say something else then, which. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's actually what happens, is that these um, folk uh, in Germany, Finland and the UK, so what they did was to take the skins of blueberries and sort of scrub them up a bit and um, extract them with a thing called chloroform, which I'm sure you've all Mm -hmm. heard of, and that's a good solvent for taking out colours out of things and everything. And when they did that, what they got was a colourless solution, completely colourless. So this was totally against... Um, what they were expecting. They were thinking, right, we're going to get a blue pigment out of this. Mm. And they didn't. They got a colourless pigment. They thought, whoa, you know, mind blown. So what they then did was to evaporate off the chloroform and lo and behold, they end up with blue. Wow. So they take this colourless solution 
evaporate off the chloroform, do a couple of little other things to it which aren't important. But basically when mm -hmm. you take away the solvent and it solidifies or it crystallizes, then you get this blue again. Right. Let's so, blue okay. crystals. Okay. So the question then is what's the color what what is the covering, essentially? What's the outside of a blueberry skin? What's what's giving the blue colour? And in fact it's a wax. It's oh. a type of wax. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. And so they went and investigated this. They looked <clears throat> looked at um, the skin of blueberries under an electron microscope. And as they could you do. As, exactly, you know. All and the time. <laughs> <laughs> And they saw all these little tiny sort of little micro structures, all these sort of ordered mm. little structures. And that got them to thinking, ah, maybe I know what's going on here. And essentially what's going on is a thing called self-assembly, which is something that chemists call this process because they don't know really how it works. And so it just happens. And they call this <laughs> self-assembly. And what happens is that these wax molecules order themselves mm. in these little micro or nanostructures and these particular structures and it just so happens when they do that they interact with light with visible light so that they absorb the orange in light and what we then see is blue right okay. and how that works you know that's <laughs> it just does it's it's a self-assembly process in nature okay. and you can sort of think of this like you sort of think well how the hell can you get color out of something that's colorless let's think of oil and water okay so oil is basically colorless isn't it okay mm -hmm. and you put a drop of oil on the surface of water and you let it spread out and you look at it just at the right angle, you see all the colours in the rainbow, literally, don't yeah. you? Okay? Mm -hmm. So you're seeing colours from a colourless um, from, from a colourless precursor there. And the mechanism by which that works is is sort of a bit different to the mechanism that this works, but it's a similar sort of principle that you can actually if things are all aligned the right way, if things are absolutely aligned the correct way, then we can get these sorts of things. And so that's what we see with these blueberry skins is that these wax molecules are ordering themselves just just so just so just so yeah, that you see that what we see <clears throat> is in fact this blue color that isn't really <laughs> there there's nothing colored blue there wow it's just this assembly of these molecules in a particular way and if you destroy that assembly the color disappears so, so cool if I asked you why blueberries are blue, would you say just so and just because? <laughs> oh, that's a good answer. I like that. Yeah, Literally. Yeah. Well, no, you just say self-assembly. You know. Self-assembly. Yeah, molecular self-assembly. That's that's the way that it all works. Holy so, heck, mind blown. I th and, and this also occurs in nature and things like butterflies. You see these butterflies have got blue. beautiful, beautiful, iridescent colours on their wings. It's this, It's exactly the same principle. You've got these same little, yeah. Micro structures. Yep, 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 yep. yep. The and they surface. just order themselves so that you get this particular colour or that we, we perceive this particular color so, anyway, so are they perceiving themselves differently oh come oh. on <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough question I'm who knows how butterflies now. see i guess that's that's, that's a difficult thing that's but, a good but, question. but obviously the color's there for a reason so presumably yes they will be perceiving it mm. somehow anyway yeah. Uh, yeah yeah a lot of animals rely on camouflage yep. but then mm. if maybe what we think is a bright vivid color to them yeah 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 yes absolutely and there's you know mm. there's 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 um, colors that we can see that dogs can't see and all that you know all that sort of stuff so eyes you know the the, the whole vision process in nature is is amazing and we're not going to go there today folks cuz crazy stuff we'll be here for a while not this yeah hole. but we're going to stay somewhat <laughs> 
at the supermarket. We I are. saw a um, crushed punnet of blueberries in the supermarket car park yesterday. <laughs> so um, shout out to that person, and I'm so sorry for your loss. But this is still in the supermarket, and I was a bit put off by this one. Mm, yeah, yeah, not a fan. I don't You're think not... I would sit down and love a bowl of meaty rice. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's let's look at it purely dispassionately <laughs> and say, right, we've got, what, eight, 8 billion of us on the planet now, there yeah. or thereabouts, between 7 and 8 billion, mm-hmm. and we've got to feed everybody, and sure we need our protein, um, and so how can we get sources of protein that are going to be less damaging to the planet than intensive farming and mm. stuff that we have at the moment? Um, so, for example, so if getting 100 grams of beef protein takes or, or it puts out about 50 kgs of CO2 into the atmosphere. Shoot. And it also uses a buttload of water. Okay, so, mm. you know, neither of those things are good. So... If there was another, an alternative way of um, getting protein that didn't involve basically farming cows, then mm-hmm. you know people might well be all for it. So, a bunch sure. of folk in Korea now have created a hybrid food, which I'm not <laughs> sure whether they've called it this or whether this is what the um, newspapers and stuff have called it. But meaty rice, it doesn't <laughs> <Wow>. really. <laughs> I think they've got to think of a better name for this. Science buzzword, meaty rice. Yeah, to be honest, it did make me feel a bit crook last night. Meaty rice is exactly probably what you think it is. So Mm. what they do is they're taking um, cells, okay, so cells of beef muscle and beef fat. So they're taking these cells Mm. and essentially they put them on the rice and away they go and they start growing and growing and growing and growing okay and so you end up with essentially rice covered with beef that's foul yeah <laughs> no it's beef kaching it's beef. Beef. <laughs> there we go see that oh, was so I'm, good i've still got it folks i've still got fire it today, Ellen. <laughs> um uh, yeah no i'm not sure if that's good but it's got 8% more protein yes. and 7% more fat. Yes, than normal beef. So, you know, and and, and in terms of what it puts into the environment, it's got it way, 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 way less. So and rice is relatively, you know, economic on the environment to produce. Again, lots of, I guess, a, a bit of water, I suppose. Yeah, lots of water. Lots but, of water. Um, you know, so basically what the rice is doing, it, it gives you a structure or it gives these cells a structure on which to grow and it also provides nutrients for them as well. So it's basically mm-hmm. all there to go. And so we've we've had things in the past couple of years, we've had your sort of lab-grown burger mm. and we've had lab-grown chicken. <laughs> yeah. Yum. And, you know, this may well be the way of the future. It may yeah. well have to be the way of the future. I don't know. But is, is there a way to scale it up, though? Because I've only ever seen these things done on such a small mm-hmm. scale, you yeah. know? I think, obviously, the limiting factor here is probably, probably going to be time. Would yeah. Be, would be my feeling that it's probably going to take a wee while for these things to grow. Yeah. Um, the photo of this stuff, I think, if, <laughs> if you had a look at the... Uh, yes, it doesn't look particularly appetising. It's sort of a pinkish mm. sort of colour. It just doesn't look I didn't great. see the article. It, is it, like... Meaty looking rice. Kind of mm. looks like pink tapioca. Yeah, I think but, that's it. Yeah, yeah. But then knowing that it's <laughs> meat rice <laughs> adds a whole nother layer What's to that? the 
viewing. Is the rice cooked or is this? Yeah, do you, would you like, cook yeah, well, it? That, well, I, I presume you would. You'd have I guess, to cook unless, it. Unless, unless you're a steak tartare sort of person, which, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so y- you think that's bad. So, um, so what has happened now? So we've obviously got these things proliferating in the lab. So, mm. and some people are very much for this, and Italy is very much against this. Italy thinks, no, 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 this is bad because we have this culinary yes. tradition. You know? We have talked about this before on Dear Science. Uh-huh. And so the Italians have a, a basic sort of passing a bill um, saying, no, we're, we're not going to allow this, okay? We're, we're not going to have this. Mm, not lab-grown mates. this is the same country who have just approved crushing up crickets for flour to be used in human food. So now if you go to Italy, you can have flour made of crushed up crickets. And it's not illegal. <laughs> it's, it's, it's totally legal. There you totally, go. Totally, totally legal. So I don't really think they've got a leg to stand on in terms of... <laughs> <laughs> I've had cricket flour before um, in a tortilla and I liked it. I've had crickets before. I have too, dried no, crickets. Yeah, no, it was like chewing cardboard. I got the salted kind though. You can like toss them in a bit of salt and they kind of. Like okay, so it tastes like salted cardboard then. <laughs> yeah, they put like a peanut or something. Oh no, they, no, they just, uh, you never quite got through them. They just kept on going. No, no, it's no, no, no. It's the no, forbidden no, no. biltong. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear. Yeah, right. Yep. And your last story is a bit of a curveball. Yeah, well, I think this is one of these ones that probably. Um, Something that's often assumed but seldom demonstrated, as my mm. old PhD boss used to say. And um, mm. so this is work in or done in the USA. And this is basically saying that the lower your voice, the higher your standing, essentially. Ooh. And this is true for both men and women. Social standing? Uh, well, in terms of sort of attractiveness, sort of finding a mate... Um, and also just uh, your your peers' view of you, mm. okay? So what they found was that a lower pitch voice in both women and men, it makes them more attractive to potential partners. Long term, long term, that's important. Right. Okay. And in males, it makes them sound more formidable and prestigious. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Um, so the way they did this, again, a survey, 3,100 people around the world, mm-hmm. and they basically asked, or they had recordings of these voices, which they would raise and lower and pitch and everything, and they were asked to rate them on things like attractiveness and flirtatiousness. Ooh. Flirtatiousness, yes, yes. And so what they're basically thinking is that the low voice in males, if you hear someone with a low voice, you think that they're, they're large, mm. that they're physically big large and so therefore the lower your voice you know the, the more perhaps physically imposing you come across as and back in the of... day that was useful oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 you know when the bears had come inside and stuff yeah and um but the high voice in women the right. high voice be, beware the high voice in women apparently do we sound shrill no. <laughs> <laughs> What you're trying no, to say? No, no, no. You sound flirtatious. <gasps> oh, okay. See, and flirtatiousness is not good for the long-term relationship thing, isn't it? <gasps> no. Nah. Oh. 
see. So you sound like a fly by night, if you've got a high voice. If that's the word, yes. <laughs> and so basically, I think, um, you know, get out there and lower your voices, I think. And, okay. You know, start smoking those filterless, you know, <laughs> and, you know, go for three backs a day sort of thing, the Lauren Bacall. Fantastic you know, so. medical advice from <laughs> our in-house professor. <laughs> Oh, that is so funny. Um, well, I mean, it clocks out, but I guess being a broadcaster, I think about my voice too much. So I, I read the story and I was like, no, oh, just don't think about it. Just don't think about it. <laughs> Come on, Millie. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, that, there we go. That was dear science for this week. Thank you, Ellen. <laughs> anyway, anyway, thank you. And thank you, Motap. Yes, there indeed. There you go. Well, I didn't know that before. Dear Science, thanks to MOTAT, the museum inspiring the innovators of tomorrow. That was a 95BFM podcast. Support 95BFM with a B-card. Go to 95BFM.com slash sign up.